Hey, everybody. It's Bunny Mike here, and I am back. He's back, baby. Thanks so much to Rad Bill for covering for me while I was gone. I am feeling great and very, very happy to be back on this wonderful podcast, which is Profiteers vs. the People, where we debunk the rich and powerful so-called geniuses and put them on crutches. So crutches, for the uninitiated, is our PR torture test acronym. It serves as an objective basis with which we can understand the effect that our subjects have on the world. That's right. And for the uninitiated, crutches breaks down as follows. C stands for consumer harm. R stands for rich parents. U stands for union suppression and employee abuse. T stands for tax evasion. The next C stands for child labor allegations. H stands for harassment allegations. E stands for egregious behavior after hours. And the S stands for slap suits and journalist suppression. And I am Money Mike. And I'm Rad Bill. And... So today we are covering Sam Harris Altman, or Sam Altman for short. For those who don't know, Sam is currently running the show over at OpenAI, which is the company behind the phenomenon that came out last year, ChatGPT, as well as Dolly. He's got that like Silicon Valley thousand mile stare that's like so common among the young <laughs> self-made and often incarcerated tech entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, he does have that that just vacant Elizabeth Holmes stare. And yeah. I feel like his ambition matches hers. But instead of having a completely infeasible idea that could have made everything better, he's really working towards a seemingly attainable concept. But if he achieves his goal... <laughs> It's just going to ruin everything for everybody. Now, just like with Chanel, um, call it to a past episode, there are going to mm -hmm. be chunks of this story where you are really rooting for this guy. And mm -hmm. we are not here to say that he is devoid of redeeming qualities at all. Mm -hmm. However, stick with us. This yeah. dude is a killer example of you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Truly. So let's get started. Sam is one of four born to a St. Louis family, and he's the oldest. He was born in 1985, and this is a, a first for us. Yeah, he's actually the first millennial we've covered who isn't currently navigating the U.S. penal system. Shout out to SBF. <laughs> he's actually like one of the few millennial self-made quote-unquote types I can even think of without a rap sheet. Sam's mother was a dermatologist. And his father owned a real estate company of some sort, so there was money in the equation here. He got his first computer in 1993 when he was eight and became as obsessed as an eight-year-old can become with a new toy, which, by the way, is very obsessed. Apparently picking up coding shortly thereafter, although I have read some skepticism about comprehending coding to a, a thorough degree when you're eight years old. I, I think there are different levels of that expertise. but I'm sure, like anything. I'm not a coder, so I couldn't say yeah. for certain, but yeah, I'm sure there is. He went to John Burroughs Prep School in Missouri, where tuition for 2023-24 school year is $34,000. That's not including books, field trips, any of that stuff. Again, just kind of 
beaten a dead horse. His family was rich as hell. <laughs> His family had some money. They were sitting on a considerable amount of money here. For sure. This is also around the time that Sam came out as gay. First to his parents and later to his whole school on National Coming Out Day. The school had an LGBT-friendly assembly that day, which a religious group made a big stink about boycotting. And to help endorse the cause, Sam volunteered to speak at this assembly and came out as gay in in front of everyone, which is a brave and noble thing to do in rich people in Missouri. Yeah, Missouri is a scary place. I think it's fair to tip our hat to Sam here and say... Bold choice. Nicely done. Well played, sir. He graduated towards the top of his class and went to Stanford and dropped out after two years. You've heard this story before. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of the critical components of the rich young tech bro starter kit, doesn't he? Yes. Because then he did the absolute last thing that you'd ever expect an upper class American white guy to do. Just kidding. He set out (laughs) to make a social media app. And I feel like we're kind of the middle class white guy equivalent here with starting a podcast. So I'm not sure how much shit I can talk about falling into white guy stereotypes. But, you know, neither here nor there. Yeah, doesn't that suck? We are cut from the same cloth here. Very rich, virginal looking white dudes often go the Silicon Valley route. And when you subtract the family money from the equation, it's it's podcast galore. You get us. You get Brad oh, yeah. Bill and Money a- Mike. Absolutely. I also do that thin-lipped, hey, smile to my coworkers in the hallway. It's who I am. I can't escape my heritage. Is that like an expression of pain? What work is. <laughs> I feel like that's like the look that rich guys give acquaintances that they run into unexpectedly in like a Taiwanese brothel. Like in that moment. <laughs> The look means uh, we're both ashamed here, right? Like, let's just not say anything to anyone and and try and move on. Yeah. Well, when I'm passing my coworkers in the hallway at work, it's please don't talk to me. I have to poop really bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what it is to me. That's the look. We, We have one bathroom at the office where it's just a private, like, doored off stall. And what a double-edged sword. I know. All the privacy, but all of the implications. (laughs) Right? You walk out and you see the person in the hallway who's lined up to poop next, who has the shamelessness where they're willing to wait outside of the door to go to the bathroom and not just... that means you gotta shit. That means you gotta go. And it's like, I know what I'm signing up for. I'm walking in right after you. But back to our story. (laughs) Sam dropped out of Stanford Big surprise to start a simple enough sounding early 2000s app with his then boyfriend and called the app Looped, which was an app for finding your friends. Now, this sounds like one of those ultra simple son of a gun. How did I not think of that early 2000s app ideas? But there were some key problems here. Mainly, he founded the company in 2005. And for those who don't remember, is two years after MySpace and a year after Facebook. You're just a little late to the party, dude. Mm-hmm. We, we read about what the idea was, and it just sounds like an idea that I've heard from five different coked-out finance majors while I was in college. They just come up to me and be like, yeah, man, it's like Facebook, right? But follow me here. There's a function... Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. To get your friend's location. Yeah, it's it's like Facebook where when you, like, feel like it, you can tell people where you are by being like, hey, I'm over here. Check me out. Except with this app, 
you don't have to tell people where you're at because the program's doing that for you all the time. Not revolutionary. Not a breakthrough. At all. It's saving one phone call. It's not one of those big <laughs> things. It's not a delivery app or whatever else. Yeah. And now, Looped might not be ringing any bells for all you wonderful listeners out there, but it has cameoed in the lives of most of you, according to our Spotify stuff. In 06, Looped entered into a contract with T-Mobile and launched the Where You At campaign, which was apparently promoting Looped. I just thought that was promoting making phone calls with a cell phone. <laughs> the whole story of Looped just debunks the idea that venture capital incubates the best ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and further, Sam's case is unique in another way because using his story as a case study, you can make the case that venture capital gives you scurvy, <laughs> which is what it, it did to Sam. <laughs> he got scurvy. The man got scurvy. He made the T-Mobile app, and while he was working on this thing in an incubator, Y Combinator, as the name of the incubator up in Boston, he got the pirate disease. And again, I've got to tip my hat to Sam here because this is a pretty radical departure from the dumbass sleeping on the couch thing that we hear over and over again. See Bang Energy CEO, see Elon Musk, see Mark Zuckerberg, but it was a dorm, etc. This dude was in Boston getting ready to lose all of his teeth. <laughs> like an old salty ship captain. Yeah. I don't feel like a billion should be attainable at all, but if someone told me they made millions and gave up all their teeth in the process, I'd feel like they earned it, right? That is a would-you-rather question right there. Yeah, and I feel like scurvy implies that you're losing all of those teeth painfully. Yeah, in a really bummer of a way. Yeah. Anyway, so he he has this idea looped. And maybe it was because he was a Stanford dropout or because he was rich or whatever. He's able to raise a bunch of money for this thing. And as you might expect, for all the reasons that we just listed, the idea was a dismal failure. It ended mm -hmm. up being sold to a conglomerate for pennies on the dollar years later. But Sam walks away from this whole disaster with $5 million. And that just speaks how... <laughs> differently rich kids have it my man comes up with a derivative idea magically gets millions of dollars to fund it and then when it inevitably fails he still walks away with more money than i will ever have and some of you might be thinking well damn money mike is just shitting on all these rich kids because he's jealous and you're right <laughs> all of my anger is just jealous angst. I could get therapy for it, but running a podcast is cheaper. Yes, it is. Yep. Running a podcast is cheaper than therapy. A lot of things are cheaper than therapy. <laughs> a, a pretty involved drug regimen is actually cheaper than therapy, unfortunately. Some of you might be objecting to the idea that this was a failure because he made millions. But for Silicon Valley in the early aughts, this is a failure. The company sold for around $45 million, which about matched the seed money it had accrued. So, yeah, he's not exiting with a mountain of debt. But for some perspective, StumbleUpon was a website that just took you to random articles on the Internet. They modernized me taking you into a library and giving you a random book to read. That site had a $1.5 million seed round and sold two years later for $75 million. 
until we were researching this, I had forgotten about StumbleUpon. I mm-hmm. used to use it like in the early college days, but the problem was that they would use pattern recognition to decide what to show you. And after six months, dude, it was like 80% porn. I couldn't use <laughs> StumbleUpon in class anymore. It it was a shameful experience. At the end of the day, it's, it's there for plausible deniability. It serves <laughs> yes. the same purpose Woo! that Tumblr used to serve. <laughs> To drive the point home that this thing was a failure, though, his romantic relationship with his co-founder fell apart after the sale. It did not end on great terms or how anyone was imagining it would end. After this, he did have $5 million sitting around, so he took a one-year vacation to focus on his health and played video games and traveled. And in 2014, he accepted an offer to become president of the incubator in which he first got involved. Why Combinator? Oh, to fail up in Silicon Valley. So, Red Bill, if you could take a year off and you had $5 million from your dog shit startup in your pocket, what would you spend your year doing? I would fall into the trap that our dads fall into, where they're just calling you going, hey, what's up? And you're like, not much. I'm at work. And they're like, oh, cool, cool, yeah. You know, there's nothing good on TV. Yeah, so I'm calling you because I'm bored. And you're like, dear God. (laughs) Dude, I'm kind of with you that, like, I wish that I had a good, original, fun answer that isn't completely derivative and stolen from some movie or story. But I don't have one. I think that the idea of not having to work is just so foreign to me. Because I've spent the past decade working. And, I mean, no, longer than that. I've been working since I was young so the idea of truly owning my time is a completely insurmountable obstacle to kind of playing that tape through what what sucks is i feel like this is the answer that most people would give to a millionaire just looking for someone interesting to give five million dollars to <laughs> like what would you do with five million dollars and everyone on the streets just gonna be like uh live a sedentary lifestyle i guess <laughs> Anyway, in 2015, Elon Musk reaches out to Sam Altman. Elon's cup was really run a thing over at this point. Everyone like still liked him and shit in 2015. So he decided to share his cup with Sam. Classic two tech bros, one cup situation. <laughs> you see, the two shared a common concern. They knew AI was going to be huge and that it wasn't far off. AI is like hover cars. The blueprints are there. We all know what it looks like. It starts out writing and drawing stuff for us, and before long, it's a big floating blue head that commands our police force and the Power Rangers sometimes. So (laughs) Sam and Elon, understandably, were concerned about the implications of AI, even early AI, to the modern world. The retelling of their conversation here has never been thoroughly explained, but here are some of the things that they seemingly cover and recover and re-recover when talking about AI. The first thing that they seem concerned about is disinformation. Mm -hmm. As AI gets better at rendering audio and visual production, it could greatly empower people who are looking to create alternative narratives. And beyond what we can physically see and touch, they had a fear that we won't know what's real in the you know, the age of information, which, mm-hmm. again, not an unfounded fear, in my view. In mine, too. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Second, 
they had a fear of people getting modernized out of their livelihoods, both creative and pragmatic, and people mm-hmm. just won't have anything to do that's constructive. Yeah. And third is where Sam's fear gets a little more paranoia-y. Yeah, it gets tech billionaire-y. Yeah, the first two are like, okay, I could see those having implications, and the third just sounds a little paranoid. And that is kind of the quintessential fear that AI could turn against us. You know what's so funny about that is really what they're worried about with that third thing. They're like, yeah, well, first, you know, we won't know what's real and not real, and that's scary. And second, you know, people losing their jobs is so bad. And third, and I mean, worst of all, AI could take my job. <laughs> AI could be doing what I want to do. And I mean, like the first two, like the little people might get hurt, but the third, oh, Dios mio, Dios mio, <laughs> unimaginable. In response to these concerns and whatever their other dumbass concerns were, they gathered a team and co founded OpenAI. It was called OpenAI because it was open source. They wanted to figure out AI make it good for people, and then share their test answers with everyone else. Noble cause. A hundred percent. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of the people listening have heard a lot about OpenAI over the the past two years, especially after the release of ChatGPT at the end of 22. OpenAI has been pretty much at the forefront of all the conversations around the future of AI and what that means. But Mm -hmm. back in 2015, in the dark ages, Mm -hmm. we have to remember that there wasn't a consumer product out there. And Sam and Elon founded OpenAI as a non-profit, very similar to the Mars Project with with Elon. This was not supposed to be a company. This is a non-profit. Yes. Now, despite the seemingly good-natured mission of OpenAI at this point, Our sources suggest that somewhere in this little spot right here is where Sam began doomsday prepping, which would make sense because he was joining forces with Elon Musk to prevent AI from destroying the world. Yeah, I feel like calling Elon Musk to save the world from a technological apocalypse is like calling Vladimir Putin with questions about brokering world peace. (laughs) Just what an ass backwards thing to do. But it makes sense, right? He's scared, especially about this whole AI turning against us. And that's where he's investing a lot of his own money. And that's by becoming a doomsday prepper. Yeah. And I've known some prepper adjacent people. And those people get into a variety of just weird stuff. A lot of them have the bootlicker, gun nutty, usually weird religious vibes. Yeah. It's a, a diverse space, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But what really tickles me about most of the doomsday preppers that I've encountered is they very thinly veil the simple fact that they think that the world's going to end in their lifetime. And they're fucking jazzed about it. <laughs> they're like, stoked, man. <laughs> I feel like they have this fantasy of like looking down the barrel of some shotgun at the charred remains of their loved ones who died in whatever extinction event that wiped out the human race just to say, I was right, Aunt Shirley. You all said I was wrong, but I was right. (laughs) I think you're probably right, frankly. (laughs) I think there's that underlying thing when you're talking to a doomsday prepper where they're like, yeah, well, the world's going to end. And the implied thing is, and, you know, I'm going to be forced to, 
come over and kill the shit out of you afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, this whole prepper thing is not a huge vote of confidence in this new venture with Elon. I don't know a lot of hero types who hedge their bets this way. Sam bought a piece of land he could fly to in Big Sur and stocked up on gold guns, food, and gas masks. Again, for a guy who's devoting his life to prevent something, his plan B is feeling a lot like plan a (laughs) (laughs) speaking of those scenarios every prepper kind of picks a few doomsday scenarios to prep for and sam's were ai attacking humans nuclear war or synthetic viruses so basically he had a weekend where he watched terminator mad max and resident evil and now he's terrified he's living (laughs) my fantasy sitting on the couch and watching movies man (laughs) yeah sam by the way he bragged about this prepping thing to the founders of one of his Y Combinator startups, which is strange behavior. Weird. That yeah, that's how we know about this. These guys are doing a startup. They're going, yeah, we're going to change the landscape. And he's like, oh, it's gonna change all right. <laughs> I've spent 20 million for when the status quo becomes fire and brimstone. Yeah, dude, that is terrifying. But anyway. <laughs> Soon after the prepper stuff began circulating, Elon decided it was time for him to do the thing where he's like a giant asshole. So (laughs) he tries to take control of OpenAI, claiming it was falling behind Google. But Sam dug in his heels and Elon left the company, which is a hilarious. Never heard that happen before. (laughs) What? Elon (laughs) left after someone else took a leadership role? (laughs) Everyone (laughs) who works with Elon just freaking hates the guy. It's easy to see why. Yeah, right? Long story short, Sam's in charge now. And in the spring of 2019, as the head of OpenAI, he created a for-profit subsidiary of OpenAI, ceased all the open source stuff, and quickly raised a billion dollars. For a brief time, profits were capped at 100x the original investment, but people were still pissed. People quit. Elon was pissed. I mean, metaphorically speaking, Sam drank from Elon's run-a-thing-over cup and shat it all back into Elon's face. And, like, as cool as I am with people shitting on Elon's face, how is that allowed? When you're like, hey, I'm going to start a nonprofit, but that nonprofit now has a for-profit subsidiary, and we're going to raise a billion dollars it's got this for-profit thing but it's okay because the most that could ever be worth for a short time anyways is a hundred billion dollars you said yeah a hundred times your original investment like if you told me to invest in a non-profit and the most i could get is a hundred times what i put in i'd be okay with that it's not a non-profit <laughs> at that point yeah, like 100x is profit right yeah <laughs> what's going on to net that back down to zero Anyways, the coming years see OpenAI release ChatGPT and DALI, as mentioned earlier. And we can argue that the market still has a good concentration of emerging AI programs from smaller teams, companies, and individuals. But the fact of the matter is that their shitty-ass nonprofit introduction won them a pretty huge share of this emerging business category. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Assuming that Elon wasn't going to do the exact same thing... And that's a big assumption. (laughs) It sounds like we're in agreement with him. Which is rare. He's gotten really conspiracy theoristy lately. But in a CNBC interview, Elon compared this transition from nonprofit to for-profit. 
to a company being founded to save the Amazon rainforest and then opening a logging subsidiary. It's just so well put. I gotta say, like... It's well put. Good show. Well said. It's antithetical to the original stated goal of developing AI and helping others develop it the right way rather than competing with them. You're a for-profit. You're competing with other groups looking to develop this software. You're in a foot race to create a bare bones, minimum viable product. You worry about the problems and the other stuff down the line. That's like the main thing with this. You're just trying to be first to market. If you're using data sets filled with painstakingly created livelihood supporting and often copyrighted art and literature to protect us all from someone else monetizing this workout from under us, that's great. But if you're the ones monetizing it and selling access to other businesses, one might argue that you stole this stuff. In fact, the FTC might argue that. In fact, they're arguing that right now. Altman just got back from a world tour where he circled the globe telling crowds of people that he was like Oppenheimer and that AI could spell doom for humanity in a myriad of vague and horrifying ways and that regulatory bodies should be created to protect people from this technology. But wasn't that what OpenAI was for? Like, weren't you going to help steer the ship clear of getting us all killed here? Dude. And isn't this just such a callback to SBF and crypto markets? Yeah. What he does is he says, you know, my thing should be regulated, but he's just shifting the blame. He doesn't actually want it to be regulated. You know, and this is evidenced by Sam's threat in May of this year to pull out of Europe if the EU passes a bill regulating AI because Sam thinks that these regulations are too strict. Again, it's just like SBF. Regulation, 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 until you step on my toes. He yes. wants the big problem solved for him, but on his terms. Yeah, this whole thing is just to shift the blame for when things go wrong and say, well, why didn't the government step in and regulate it? They could have put an end to this before it became a big yeah. issue. I wanted it to be regulated. I said, regulate, regulate, regulate. He did wind up wussing out on that threat to pull out of Europe, but to this end, there are only two AI problems that Sam is really willing to own up to and wants to try and solve, and conveniently, they're problems that Sam can monetize. Firstly, how do we distinguish people from AI? And second, how do we keep people from starving once AI can do everything that people do for money? Wouldn't you know it? He dug in and he found the solution to these two problems was in the blockchain all along. Huzzah! Oh. <laughs> it's crypto! <laughs> Anytime that God. someone says that the solution to all of our problems lie in a blockchain, an angel dies. <laughs> an angel uh, loses its wings. It gets its wings clipped. <laughs> Sam's creating a cryptocurrency with a few of his co-founders called WorldCoin, which when scaled, will serve as a decentralized, universal, basic income. So that's one problem privatized. I mean, solved. <laughs> we won't need to work anymore. In fact, WorldCoin is being scaled right now. At time of recording, 2.3 million people have supposedly given consent to receive WorldCoin. Now, with a digital universal income, maybe some of you are wondering about how we account for people double dipping. 
on this new UBI. Or maybe you aren't, but Sam sure is. <laughs> Bots have plagued any and all attempts at implementing Web3. It's been like one of the primary things keeping Web3 programs from scaling. And to the bot creators, I say thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> so to address this problem, Sam and his team have introduced the Orb. Now, most of these efforts have been taken on in developing nations. The way it works is that word travels around town that a company called Tools for Humanity, or maybe it's something different now, is providing much-needed aid. Locals go out looking, and they find a line of people signing paperwork and staring into what Tools for Humanity employees are calling the orb, as mentioned earlier, which takes high-resolution images of users' body, face, and eyes, including the user's irises. At one point, the data consent form being signed by these locals also mentioned the orb's ability to capture evidence of a heartbeat, breathing, and other vital signs. Yeah, it's like missionary work, but infinitely more creepy. Like, dude, <laughs> this is some sci-fi shit. Yeah, it's it's freak show stuff. In, like, the worst way. Straight up. On that note, WorldCoin has had, like, a few run-ins already with the EU and local lawmakers for how they've sought consent and the reward systems they've offered. In most villages, they convince people to give up their biometrics in exchange for social assistance. And they typically pay that assistance in WorldCoin. It's like an IOU. Now, as an AI-centric Web3 solution, WorldCoin doesn't hire employees. It's too modern for that. What WorldCoin does instead is hire what they've innovatively termed independent contractors, which means there are no employment contracts or any bureaucratic nonsense like guarantees of payment. Instead, these independent contractors receive commissions each time they collect a person's biometric data, and they often receive payment in WorldCoin. One WorldCoin recruit received the WorldCoin equivalent of over 23 American dollars for signing <laughs> up 170 people. Unsurprisingly, the per-scan model has led to some misleading registration techniques. WorldCoin applied to teach a cryptocurrency workshop at an Islamic high school in Indonesia, and the school's student activity coordinator recommended the workshop for approval, believing it would serve to educate students on cryptocurrency. Instead, WorldCoin employees spent the whole 45-minute session signing up kids as young as 15 for WorldCoin and scanning their biometric data. By the way, not only does scanning a 15-year-old violate Indonesian laws, it violates WorldCoin's own terms of service, which is telling. This is like the worst MLM in the Straight world. Straight up. It's like the MLM where you're getting paid in Monopoly money. Yes! <laughs> WorldCoin doesn't want these people to be customers. They want them to be the bottom rung. They want you to be customers, and they're using these people to work out the kinks, train the software, and add scale to their coins, as many crypto organizations seek to do in developing nations. Long story short, they're doing this in places like Indonesia because they know they can violate the rights of these people and not get sued. Now, on the bright side, WorldCoin is young, but it has been an abysmal failure so far. It's halved in value since its release in June, and the original stated goal was to have a billion people signed up by 2023, which makes the current user base laughable. So to summarize, this is the world Sam is trying to create, an 
all of the problems he pledged to address have been put off on others or have been accounted for in a way that makes Sam money. AI is already causing a disinformation issue. Yeah, I know you guys have heard all those AI conversations between like presidents talking shit to each other. And it's funny, but it's scary. It is because scary. If the content of the dialogue didn't give away that the conversation was clearly fake, I could see myself being fooled by it. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that somebody could have a quote unquote recording of a leader's voice and fabricate what they say is terrifying. And mm -hmm. on a smaller scale, AI is already being used to fake voices to scam people. Gen Z's are actually becoming a high percentage of the target. You, know, you expect younger people to inherently be more tech savvy, but that's not really the case. You mm -hmm. know, fake kidnappings and other micro level scams where you AI someone's voice are on the rise and they will only get more sophisticated as the technology progresses. Yeah. And in Sam's mind, this one's up to the regulators and they better get on it in a way that's satisfactory to Sam because <laughs> stuff's happening. Exactly. The second concern that they cited, the jobs are going to go away. And not just the jobs, the fun parts of jobs will go mm -hmm. away. A ton yeah. of this is tailor-made to replace the parts of working that technology promised to let us focus more on. The fun, creative, inventive jobs are suddenly all subject to monopolization by one business. Yeah. As of right now, it's not only the livelihoods that concern me. It's also the fact that when technology replaces people, it's not just worse for the people that the technology is replacing, but it also usually negatively impacts the customer's experience too. I know I sound like a boomer here, but when grocery stores replace most of their cashiers with self-checkout, I was like, oh, it'll be faster. It'll be saving money for the grocery stores. The so prices will go down. Prices didn't go down. They went mm -hmm. up. And now I'm stuck bagging whatever I can't steal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't steal from groceries. <laughs> but I went to a cashier as opposed to self-checkout not too long ago and was blown away by how much more efficient it was. It, they're like cowboys with that shit. Yeah, people are better at that than machines as of right now. Straight up, you're right. I mean, this is going to get worse all around. I, I don't think that folks like Sam realize how much worse this is going to get for them. Sam's solution for this problem, as we just mentioned, is WorldCoin, an invasive crypto scam that's made rounds in developing nations and has thus far completely failed to scale. Further, investors already own 10% of the total supply of WorldCoin, and WorldCoin employees own another 10%, a sizable portion of which is likely just going to Sam. Oh, yeah. All this means is that in the world where WorldCoin saves us, we already have deeply troubling wealth disparities. Everything's going to get worse for everybody but Sam. The third and final one is AI turning on all of us, which again is more of a rich people fear. Yeah, and if this happens, it's the foretold chaos that Sam feared. And fortunately for him, he's also solved that problem for him with his cozy getaway of gold, guns, and food where he can just wait out the war and get along just fine. Yeah. 
When we look at Sam Altman's other investments, we begin to get a clearer understanding of his goals. Over the last few years, Sam has invested $180 million in retrobiosciences, which is a startup that seeks to add 10 years to the human lifespan. And he's also invested $375 million into Helion Energy, which is a long-shot speculative nuclear fusion company which aims to be a leading provider of cheap renewable energy. Sam isn't trying to save the world. He's trying to dominate it. And it appears, judging by his prepping habits, that he's willing to risk the entire world to achieve this end. Even if he pulls this off, the idea of a world to which normal people can't add value but are kept on life support via a privately funded universal basic income should scare all of us. The nuclear war is the best case scenario. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> quick and kind of painless death for a yeah. lot of folks. <laughs> it's taken us into the it's taken us out to the pastures at that point. Yeah. All that's keeping us alive in this world that Sam's seeking to build is the goodwill of the few at the top like Sam. And when given complete control over that much, no one is incorruptible. That cute, brave, gay high schooler from stuck-up conservative Missouri is now a bad haircut away from being Lex Luthor. On that note, crutch is time. So, consumer harm? Oh yeah. Open AI steals people's art and sells it for money. Its business model is basically just fucking people. Um, <laughs> rich parents? Yeah, he's got them. Yeah, he does. Union suppression and employee abuse? Um, OpenAI has employed a team of Kenyans to assist in censorship on their product and have historically paid them less than a dollar an hour. This is absolutely horrifying, but it also adds context to how OpenAI works, and it makes it feel Flintstonian with how fucking primitive it is. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of people getting paid, and I think it's $2 an hour or less than $2 an hour pretty consistently, which is still egregious. But yeah, there are a ton of people doing that part. It's like the telephone that's just a fucking bird. Do, have <laughs> you have you seen it's one of the Men in Black movies where they open the mail sorter at a post office and it's just an alien in there with a bunch of arms sorting all the mail. That's how it feels. There's this magic box and you're like, "How the fuck does it do all of that?" And the answer is Abusing its workers. Abusing <laughs> <laughs> and brutally underpaying a bunch of people. If you look in this little hole, you can see them all toiling away on what I can only imagine is the worst work in history. Yeah. Abusive labor practices. That's how. But yeah. anyway, so tax evasion. I'm sure yeah. that Sam and Elon benefited handsomely from their nonprofit slash for profit. But we don't have any concrete evidence of this, so we're not going to give them that one. Mm -hmm. Child labor, assuming all of the Kenyans are of age, no evidence against it. Yeah. Harassment allegations, none that we know of. Egregious behavior after hours, we don't know what got in between him and his boyfriend at Looped, but nothing egregious has ever come out, so we're not giving him anything there. Slap suits, nothing we could find. For, you know, the first half of that, he's gotten spades, but afterwards, the problem becomes that his case is just airtight. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, gang, I think that is our show. Thank you again for listening. I am so happy to be back. You will hear a lot more of this nerdy virginal voice on your Spotify 
speaker <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> yeah. Wherever you get your uh, dude, all the podcasters always have this really cool. They're like, listen to it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what I need to say. I don't know how to do it. I'm not that maybe but they anyway. just have it written. Maybe they've got like an index card or something framed on the wall that they we read from. That. That's a good that. idea, actually. Shit. All right, mm. gang. Thanks again for listening. We love you and goodbye. goodbye.